Welcome everyone to Paranormal Roundtable. Paranormal Roundtable, the only show in Austin that has me and Sal. Hey everybody, how's it going? Uh, glad to be here. I'll tell you what happened to me today. I went and I looked at a piece of property. Right. And it was nice. I was like, it's something I could build on. But then I saw this, this not dilapidated or anything, but this old house. Right. And it was from the 1930s. Oh, wow. You could just tell it was old. And so we looked it up. It's from 1936 oh, nice. or something like that. And no, it wasn't nice. It was just, it was, no, no, no. It it's... was creepy. <laughs> and it would be like right next door to us. And I'm like, this house is not, it just looks. It looks like something, if it was fixed up, it would be something out of like the old uh, original Halloween movie, Mike Myers. And, and when he goes after Jamie Lee Curtis way, mm. way back in the day, that kind of, because those, they use those type of houses or, or, you know, the, the architecture was about the same. I mean, yeah, I personally I, maybe, enjoy the architecture from around that time. It's pretty interesting. In it's just when we walked around the property and we walked by that house. Oh, wow. Uh, my wife made a comment about, I don't think there's anything evil there. It just feels like there's a lonely feels spirit off. there. And I'm yeah. like, a lonely spirit? And then while we're talking about it. What'd you tell her? We Too both, bad we can't stay, baby. <laughs> we both started having like these weird feelings and like mm -hmm. my skin started crawling and so did hers. And then I didn't say anything. And then she was like. Do you feel like something like, and I did, and I said, yeah, I do. And it felt like something was following us. It oh, was so wow. weird. And uh, having lived in a house for 10 years, I was just like, I know, I can tell. I'm, I'm not like nuts. psychic, but I'm sensitive to it. That's nuts, man. And so me and Anthony and uh, my wife are all kind of like creeped out by it. It mm. just seemed like a very creepy house. So if we if we build there, we're going to have to put up with that house being next door. No, no. Yeah, that's nightmares. True. But hey, you know, get a you know, somebody can get out there and clean it, you know. Get get a cleansing going, you know. Mm. <laughs> and and ward off the spirits or you're gonna be investing a lot of money in sage. <laughs> get them out of there, you know. Or I could just buy both properties. <laughs> I could level the little sucker and just Yeah. You know, if but I what could. if it, but what if what if what if uh you know, the, 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 whatever you were feeling just comes over to decides our house. To, to migrate That's over what I'm to thinking. It's going to be visiting us, you know? <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, I was talking about building a studio there at the house. Yeah. So then you come over to record and then we'll have all kinds of weird going ons while we're trying to do the show. We have our own little version of the Amityville horror <laughs> going on. <laughs> Anthony's doing the editing and he hears like, get out. <laughs> you're like, what? One of these guys is really, really not doing their job. That's crazy. You know, that is definitely crazy. What do you think, Andy? Do you think it's haunted? I think it is. Yeah. It, you know, I, I, I can't say much because I've never experienced any haunting of anything. And so- Probably because you didn't live in a house that looked like that one. Quite possibly. <laughs> I'll show you the house. You know, you know where the, the Walmart is? Right there where the pawn shop and the Walmart is in Cedar Park? I think so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just go right there. Right, right down there? That's right there. Interesting. That's the lot. I was thinking about building. Wow. Salem's lot. Oh, there you go. <laughs> But anyway, anyways, uh, whether I build there or if I don't build there, I, do, I don't want to live in a haunted house. I mean, and that's that's kind of brings us to our... Uh, yeah, th that brings us to our guest we got today. Today we got Bobby. Now, Bobby Hedrick at Atris... Atris... Okay. You know what? We're going we're gonna to let her say her name so she says it properly because I don't well, want to butcher it. We have messed up so many people's names. I like, know. We, I Anna, don't want to butcher Anna it. Choates, I believe is how you say it. And we were saying Anna, Anna Coates. Yeah. I'm like, hey, Anna Coates. <laughs> so with that being said, hey, folks, you know, we're here doing this show. We love to hear your stories. And uh, this is the time for, you know, plug the emails. Mm-hmm. DosWolfman88 at gmail.com. And folks, j j most of you have me on Facebook at this point, so you're just sending them to Messenger anyway. And a yeah. lot of you that aren't on my Facebook are sending them to Messenger. So That's the, true. The, the, the emails have slowed down. Now it's just all Messenger. It's a ton of Messenger stuff, but oh, that's wow. fine. I, I agree. And like I said, I've- But when my Messenger goes out, like it did recently, then that becomes a problem. So Yeah, that stinks right there. But I tell you what, folks, your stories, you send them to us. You know, thank you so much. We are trying to get every one of them in into the show. And so keep sending them. We want to hear them. We want to read about them. And I've gotten a really a, a few interesting stories from a listener out there. And uh, one of those stories involves a staircase out in the woods. It, it's strange. You, you know, I haven't, 
Uh, What's up with that? I hear about stuff like that all the time. It's a really interesting story. And so hopefully in the near future, we're going to have it on one of the future episodes. That way I've got to print it all out, let you read it and everything else, because I I couldn't believe what I was, what I was reading when I read that story. It's crazy, Hmm. you know? So that's something that's coming up. So today, Miss Bobby is going to share her experiences with us. She's done over 20 years of, you know, ghost investigations, paranormal, you name it. I I, I don't think that uh, there isn't a topic that she hasn't covered. Is it spooky? Because that's why I'm here for the spookiness. That's it. That's I'm not it. here to hear you crack wise and act like comedians. <laughs> well, is that what you ain't funny. <laughs> just, just tell the stories and shut up and go home. That's it. Man. All right, then. So, with that being said, let's bring Bobby on to the show. Yes, please. Enough talking. (laughs) Enough talking. All right. Well, we're going to get Bobby on the show. All right. So, Bobby, how do you pronounce your name so me and Sal don't mess it up? (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Uh, Bobby Otterstein, and it's from the Basque region of Spain. It's my husband's name. Now, folks at home who don't, don't, don't know what that is. The Basque region, it's in between Spain and France, I believe, right? Exactly. Yeah, in the mm-hmm. Pyrenees Mountains, right Pyrenees. on the border of Spain mm-hmm. and France. Yep. Bobby, you've got over 20 years of ghost, you know, hunting, just so many paranormal, you know, investigations you've done into all types of topics. So, you know, give us a brief rundown of who you are, what you've done, and then uh, start right in, you know, with, with your first I guess you could say the first experience that got you down this path, got you started anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, so again, I'm from, um, uh, Virginia, um, central Virginia, well, probably closer to the, the mountains, Southwest Virginia. And I always, you know, we had always had interesting things happen in the homes that I, I grew up in, in my grandmother's home and in my parents' home, which actually my uh, grandfather and great-grandfather actually built. They were general contractors, so they were not old homes. It was old land, but not old homes. And so, um, you know, things had happened. So to me, there was never a question that ghosts were real because my mom would have uh, – relatives that had passed away, like literally they would pass away and she would actually see them at the foot of her bed and know before anyone called her that this, you know, aunt or uncle so-and-so had passed away. So for me, ghosts were real. She was an adult. And if she said she saw, you know, her grand, her grandmother or her uncle, then, then that was it. Um, but I was always very scientific minded and more of a, a more of a skeptic. So, um, around 2000, and I was always interested in, you know, watching all the shows about ghosts and things that came on. Of course, it wasn't that many back in the 70s and 80s and even the in the 90s. Um, and the Internet came about. And so I'm a, I'm a technology person. That's how I earn my keep. I'm a, I'm a geek, official geek. And I saw a website called the Ghosts and Hauntings Research Society, and they were based in Toronto. And, I, and they had a thing that said, you know, if you would like to open up your, your a Ghosts and Hauntings Research Society for your state, let me know. You have to be able to do web pages, which I could do, and you have to, you know, have a little bit of experience. And I thought, what better place than Virginia? You know, we have Revolutionary War history, Civil War history. Lots of history here in Virginia, and I could definitely, you know, code a web page. So back in 2000, I, you know, emailed the guy and said, you know, Matt Didier, and I said, you know, let me do this. And he said, okay. And so there I go. He gave me some web space off of their uh, Ghosts and Hauntings Research Society. And within a few months, I had members and I had a case. And the first case we ever investigated, actually, the lady had been on TV. Uh, for those of of your podcast viewers that may remember way back in the day, Montel Williams had a show, a TV show. This is back when people watched regular TV. There wasn't all the streaming and not even cable wasn't as big of a thing. And he had this family. He dedicated it. was a, It was a show about, you know, um, you know, ghosts and hauntings, probably around Halloween time. And I happened to wake up late at night, couldn't sleep. It was a rerun. And it was a family from Chesapeake, Virginia, which is in the eastern part of the state near the beach. And this lady says she had a haunted doll and it was a Mennonite family. And I thought, well, that's cool because they're from Virginia. And lo and behold, this is the lady that contacts me to come and visit her house. So 
a group of folks, we go out there, we were ill prepared. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. Um, all I knew is that I wanted to use the scientific method. No Ouija board, psychics, none of that crap. I wanted true scientific method. And, I'll, and I can dis discuss my thoughts on people that say they use science um, later on. But we wanted to document something. So I'm like, science, my whole reason for starting the group is I wanted scientists, true scientists, um, physicists, to look at this and say, this is worthy of study. And if you've got people that are, you know, doing seances and Ouija boards and all this other crap, that is not scientific. Or taking EMF meters and saying, this is detecting a ghost. That is not scientific. EMF detects electromagnetic fields. That has not crap to do with the ghost, folks. <laughs> Just doesn't. All right. Let's put that to the side. And at this lady's home, we get there, and you know what? Some sh things happen. I had a Polaroid camera that would not function properly, and a Polaroid's very simplistic, would not function. My very expensive Canon, you know, uh, it was a it was a thirty five millimeter camera with SLR and automatic, and it just malfunctioned. And people's watches stopped working. Um, the house looked very cozy. It was a, they were a Mennonite family. They had taken a lot of flack for saying they had ghosts. And the whole story was. Well, the, the reason, the reason for that is I don't just, just to clarify. So people at home will understand what we're, what you mean by Mennonites. The Mennonites are a type of Amish, but they are a little more, uh, they're allowed. A less strict. Less strict. Yeah. The strictures are not as, as in place, but they still have a, they're a lot stricter than the average religious person. So you will take flack if you're a Mennonite and you say, yes, my house is, is haunted. haunted. Yeah, yes. so there's going to be some repercussions. It's going to be, what did you do, Jebediah, to make the, the make ghosts come and do this to you? Yeah, you know? yeah but this oh, is yeah. interesting. <laughs> These yeah, demons, in other words. And so this, so for this land, so they built the house, but the deal was, so her husband had grown up in this neighborhood. And so there was a, a house, an, an older house that was there. And when she married her husband, they bartered, because the Mennonite community, they barter for things. And so they had gotten the land and the house, I guess, was in disrepair. And the house has some kind of tragic history. There was a daughter that had starved to death because girls were the last to eat because they weren't as useful on the farm as a boy, right? Um, and there was another child, and I can't remember if it was male or female, that had fallen in a big pot of scalding water and died, scalded to death. Um, so there was some, you know, some tragedy associated with this land. And so they did not, their young couple just got married. They didn't have a lot of money. So what they did is they bulldozed this house down. It was a two-story kind of farmhouse, and I, I saw a picture of it. And then when they were building their rancher, a brick rancher, um, they didn't have enough money to have the remains of the old house carted away. So they basically had it pushed into what would have been their basement. So they don't have a basement. The, what was dug to be the basement of the house is where the old house is. And they built this cozy little brick rancher on top of it. And I mean, when you go in this house, it's it should feel very cozy. She made the curtains, um, every, a lot of handmade things. It is the coziest looking house, but the feeling you get inside the house is anything but cozy. You get the feeling something or someone is watching you. Um, and to top it off, she has a, she collects antique toys. So if you want to blast from your past, from your childhood, she has a couple of rooms and she actually has ledges built around the perimeter of the room and all of these old toys that she's collected from antique shops, which will take you back to your, you know, to your childhood and beyond probably your parents' childhood as well that she's collected. Uh, and so you just felt there was an unease. Um, and so there, she had a doll and the doll was not it wasn't evil looking. It was kind of an ugly doll, um, but it wasn't. The eyes were painted on. It had a dress, a, you know, just a baby doll um, that you might buy for your kid. Why she picked it up, I don't know, but she did. And she said that this doll was possessed and that it would do things. She didn't trust it. So I put a camera, and this is a regular eight millimeter camera. This is back 2000 before it was really, it was really expensive to own digital cameras. Um, especially digital video cameras. It's not like it is today where it's cheaper and you, you have it on your phone, your iPhone or your Android. 
the year 2000 was not like it is today. So I had an actual old school Sony, you know, eight millimeter camera with actual magnetic tape. And I had it trained on this doll. And although we didn't really, while we were at the home, um, everyone was a little freaked out. We had electronics malfunction. People's watches stopped working. We didn't really pick up anything while we were there. When we got back, the video that I got of that doll is actual pupils, which were painted on. Is pupils dilated and constricted, but they're painted on pupils. I can't explain how 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 that happens. And I mean, I had Adobe Director or Adobe Premiere rather, and I could measure the pupils. Um, and this lady's like, yeah, we have ghosts and she had them all named and they, some were intelligent, some were, you know, what she would call, um, you know, historical, historical or, or repeating, um, residual apparitions. And they had just come to accept that this is, this is what happened in their home. They had a civil war soldier, uh, par for the course in Virginia. They had, um, a Victorian lady, uh, a couple of one that they called Mr. Cheese, who was not very nice. But the kids had literally, when her sons were younger, they actually had uh, strings of uh, bells they hung up in their room. So if anyone, quote unquote, came into their room, they would hear them. And it was just their way of life. She had Christmas ornaments and visitors would come and see Christmas ornaments and things levitating in the air. I mean, this is just an evening at, you know, at Kim's house. <laughs> this is what happens at Kim's house. And and they and they definitely took a lot of flack for it, uh, being that they were Mennonite. Uh, but she's like, look, I'm not making this up. This is real. And this is what happened. So that was my very first case with my with the Virginia Ghosts and Hauntings Research Society. It was a heck of a case to walk in on being an amateur, <laughs> but that is exactly what happened. And that was back in November of 2000. That is, that is really creepy. I mean, for the first time getting your, <laughs> getting your feet wet in this particular topic. I mean, I can only imagine, I personally have never had anything ghost related happen to me. I've had stories told, you know, secondhand, third hand in my family, but, uh, you know, this is <laughs> compared to what you went into that day. <laughs> yeah. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. I, I lived in a haunted house for yeah. 10 years. So see Wolf and I are kind of like the, the polar opposites on that thing. And I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous episodes, but, uh, Wolf does talk about the haunted house he lived in for 10 years. It was, yeah. And I, br I brought a lot of people from the old days to talk about it. Yeah. Just, just to relay their experiences because everyone had experiences there and they mm -hmm. weren't all the same. It was crazy. And so now that you got your feet wet, you know, after that first, um, that first investigation, you know, what, to, give us some of the, you know, give us some accounts that have really stood out in your mind over the years. I mean, because you got over 20 years worth of the stuff, you know. Yeah. So, so probably, um, one of the first cases, which kind of uh, also illustrates kind of the issues you have when you're working with people, um, we had, uh, a, so this was, would be in 2000, 2003, yeah, 2003, um, we had a family from Kentucky, and they contacted us and said that they were having, you know, all sorts of things happen. They were hearing, you know, demon cats and um, her husband had had seen a ghost girl, and and now he was taking antidepressants, and and they were very fearful for their lives, and they were scared, and they would call my husband and I. My husband actually was a member of the group. That's actually how we met. I um, ended up married, Rick, and uh, so they would call us like eleven o'clock at night. You know, hey, we think there's a ghost, and we're scared, and and I mean, and, and truly scared. I mean, you could hear in their voice, they're, they're scared. And so where they lived outside of Louisville was probably a good 11 or 12 hours from where we lived. And so we made an arrangement to, uh, to take a weekend, you know, off an extended weekend from work. We both worked. Um, and then we had my husband's brother who had an RV and he lived in Tennessee and we asked him to, you know, meet us. And that way we could stay in the RV, run our equipment to their house and try not to kind of in, impede upon them to try to capture what was happening. And so we did that. It was in May and, uh, 
you know, whatever, with all the interviews, and we do a number of different psychological interviews, um, you know, to test how how likely are they to look for a paranormal explanation versus rational. There was a scale called the magical ideation scale we did, a couple other different, uh, you know, psychiatric tests that we just administered to try to figure out, gauge these people, right, to see are they they crazy because you run into that. You do. You just run into it. Um, or are they sane? And so obviously we believe they were sane for us to drive 12 hours, right, to uh, to Louisville, you know, outside of Louisville, Kentucky, because there were no groups in that area at the time. And so um, – well, our, our, you know, we had some more team, team members that were going to meet us on the Friday and Saturday. And so what we did is we had every state, everything was staged from the RV. Um, and we were going to have one or two people inside the house with the family to act as witnesses, but try to just tell them to, you know, act as normal as you can with, with video cameras and things and people, strange people in your house. Right. And it, it came. It became apparent that this activity manifested one, one, one and a half years ago. So we're like, what happened a year and a half ago? Well, no one knew. They suggested, well, maybe it's because we like to watch horror movies, and that's why the devil. I'm quoting, paraphrasing, the devil's in our house. And I'm like, no, I love horror movies. <laughs> horror movies are not why you're having things happen in your house. Um, People had things happen. So my so my husband, um, when he was in there on his shift, they had uh, so they had a daughter who was around eleven. They had a sixteen, seventeen year old daughter and her boyfriend who lived with her, and then they had a younger son who was four. Now the husband and wife, she was a stay at home mom. The husband was a painter. He had a you know kind of you know a good contracting job, business. Very, he was he he was a salt of the earth guy, right? Oh, great. Okay. And, and so when he saw the ghost girl, he saw a little girl, and then she disappeared. And when he saw her, and she disappeared, that shook his worldview because ghosts and things do not exist. And he ended up going on Prozac or something. I mean, he had to go see a therapist. It really shook. It shook his worldview. This is a dude that's like, I I know what I know, and this does not fit. Um, so he was really upset. He's he. That's what finally pushed him over the edge to allow them to bring the quote unquote Ghostbusters in. So my husband saw a little boy dressed in in like like what you would call knickerbockers, you know, um, and he thought, well, maybe this was a playmate that their younger son had. Um, and so he followed the little boy um, and the little boy, dis- he disappeared. He went down the hallway of their home and this was a triple wide. So not a double wide trailer, but a triple wide trailer. Um, this kid disappeared down the hall of this triple wide trailer and he's and, and he asked the little boy, he said, he said, you know, did you have a friend over? And he said, he looked at my husband like he was crazy, like, I don't have a friend over. For me, my experience in that home, now, first of all, when we first get there um, and we're introducing ourselves, I see movement in their closet, but it's out of the corner of my eye. So I don't pay attention. Unless I see something straight on, I don't pay attention. Um And the woman's freaking out because she said, I, there's something in that closet that I never said. And I never, I have a poker face. I never, you know, let on that I saw something in that in that closet. So that keyed off to me that something was happening. Um, I think the next day they had told us they had a cat, a black cat that had been hit by a car. So it was, so it was okay. It was healing. It was injured, but it was healing. It lived. So I'm in their home. They have, it's like late at night. They have the TV on. The lights are turned off, but the TV's on. And I am getting ready to sit down on their sofa and I see this cat come right out where I'm about to step. So I literally hold my foot up midair because I don't want to step on the cat, particularly a cat that's injured, <laughs> right? And then I and then the cat disappears. And then I realize because this is in you know a second, less than a second. I realize the cat didn't have a head. Oh. Like, I'm just focused on there's cat. I don't want to step on cat. And then I'm like, the cat didn't have a head. So that, so that's interesting. <laughs> oh, okay. So we'll put that to the side. Headless cat, very interesting that disappears. So the whole time I've been drilling on the family, like, what are you, what happened a year and a half ago? Because horror movies are not it. You, so I know something's happened and they're not telling me and I need to know why. So on day four, like that Sunday, before we're about to pack up and head back, 
their uh, 16-year-old daughter and her, her living boyfriend, she tells me that a year and a half ago, um, she, her ex-boyfriend broke into their home and beat her and raped her. Okay. So that's, that's horrible. Um, that's, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine being a 16 year old girl and having that happen to me. That's what happened. So this was, um, so this is back in, you know, Oh, two, Oh, 2001, 2002. And there was a company, I think it was a cell phone company. Um, but this is when you had to watch commercials. Once again, there was no streaming, you <laughs> yes. know, you just had to, there's no TiVo. You just had to suck it up and watch commercials. And I've, and I think it was a cell phone company, but they had this great little commercial that had a voodoo doll. It was of a voodoo doll and it was showing, you know, someone was, you know, poking the voodoo doll and the person was reacting. Well, they saw that commercial and it aired like crazy. I remember seeing it and they got the idea, well, we'll make a voodoo doll of my ex-boyfriend. So they make an effigy of this, of this boy. And I understand her anger. I understand her being mad. I get it. Right. They made an effigy out of popsicle sticks of this ex-boyfriend and they set it on fire and they basically say her and her current boyfriend and they say, you know, we hope you burn in hell. Seven days later, I cannot make any of this up. Seven days later, this boy uh, dies in a freak gas explosion at his parents' home. Holy smokes. That's nuts. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff you need to tell me and not that you like to watch horror movies. But the story gets better, okay, or it gets more interesting. Let me say that. So. I'm like, um, so I so, say, you know, so I try to call their, their minister. So they're, um, Protestant, um, and they, I think that, you know, flavor of Pentecostal holiness was the church that they were, they weren't, they didn't go to church. Their youngest daughter was the only one who was least affected. And she was the one who went to church faithfully and prayed with her grandmother because she kind of figured out that I need to get in good with, with God to be protected. And she had the least, she probably was the sanest of, of all of them in the house, to be honest. Um, and so when I called their minister, he said, well, they won't come to church and I can't help them if they don't come to church. And at the time, I didn't understand that. Um, I do now. And, and I can we can we'll, we'll get to that later on about what what that means. Um, but he's like, you know, and they're not willing to help themselves. This is not like the movies. You don't sprinkle some water and it's over. So they ended up moving and we told them, we said, you can move, but if you've got something negative attached to you and by doing what you did, you probably do, you can move to the other side of the world and it's not going to help you. Um, but they moved and we didn't, we didn't hear from them for a long time. Okay. It was a long time. We didn't hear. It was months. And finally they answered the phone. We called, we had, they did, we did have cell phones back then. Right. So they did answer the phone and they said they had moved and their new home, get this freak accident exploded and they lost everything. Holy smokes. They did move, but they lost everything in their new home. Now they were, they were safe. They didn't their, you know, their family, they were safe, but, um, but they, uh, but yeah, they lost everything. And after that, we never heard from them again, because I think the father was convinced that just by talking about it, they were giving it power. Um, so we do not know what happened to them after that. <coughs> but, um, but yeah, that's a story. That seems to be a very common theme too. Like I was actually talking, I went to visit my cousin today. She works at a restaurant and one of her coworkers is a Navajo. Oh, and, okay. And he's yeah, yeah. and I I, you, I could tell just right away he was a very nice guy, but I could tell just you know that he was native. And I asked him, you know, and he told me, and he told me my my wife Nelly, and we started talking to him, and of course the subject of the paranormal because my cousin's like my cousin Josh has a show about the paranormal. <laughs> And of course he was like, oh, that's cool. So we started talking and of course the, the conversation, my wife asked him about skinwalkers. He literally just looked at us and kind of shook his head. He goes, I, we're not supposed to talk about that. Like they don't talk about it yeah, because, because if you do, believe. and like me and you being Latino, Sal, yeah, we know Hispanic. that we're, <laughs> we're not supposed to talk about certain, certain things because it gives it power. You give it power and you bring it up. You're supposed to bring, you're not supposed to talk about it. 
I don't subscribe to that or I wouldn't be doing this show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. We wouldn't be doing this. That's very common. Like, you know, they don't talk about it because you make it happen or whatever, you know. And and, and in some levels, I guess you could say that it does. I mean, when you think of things like the law of attraction, what you put out into the universe comes back, you know, well, I mean, it it depends on how you're talking about it. Correct. If you're you're sitting there talking about it with reverence, or if it's something that you're obsessed with, then you're going to invite it. Yeah, whether it's positive or negative, however you're looking at it. Yeah, that's what I think. I I, I haven't talked about anything on this show, (laughs) like as far as guests coming on, and and then it's happened. I mean, you know. But that is really interesting, Bobby, that, uh, I mean... It's interesting that uh, you know they had that fr- the the house just blew up. Really? I mean, yes. wow. Yeah. We had let me tell you something Bobby. We had a we we did a show not too long ago about a gargoyle statue. Oh yeah, yeah. And this guy that worked with me at at the club that I used to run he took the statue. He wanted it. Now if you want to listen to the show folks, you can go back and I'm not going to get into a whole dissertation about it, but what happened was his house burned down. And that's, you know, we talk about that on the show. Yeah, but you still have the key. <laughs> yes, I do. The key, unfortunately, will not go away. Yeah. I have thrown it in many places and it will not go away. I have a haunted object that follows us. So, wow. yeah, it's it's a key. We talk about it in one of our episodes. So if anybody wants to go back and reference that, check yeah, it. Yeah, it's know. it's strange. I've seen the key myself, and it's 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 a really interesting and unique key. I mean, we there's people. Some people have even suggested that maybe it's it's uh, it's the matching set. It's supposed to be with a gargoyle. And once they're together, then you know things will get better, or this thing won't continue to pop up. I don't know. I don't think they're supposed to be together. I think it's. I think it was Bruja in the magic. I think yeah. that somebody. Did Split that. them. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they put it in the gargoyle to do the, you know. Right. They it, That could be. I mean, the topic of the paranormal is so broad, and there are no real experts out there that, that have the, you know, the tried and tested methods and, and, and theories that, that work a super high percentage of the time on, you know, as far as explanations are concerned. So it's, it's, it's amazing. So... These people's house blew up, and then, of course, you never, you know, they you lost contact with them. They kept going. It makes me wonder if they're still running. Well, you know, um, we, we've often wondered about them. I mean, we will occasionally get the, the folks that uh, – they're they're freaked out and they're calling you in the middle of the night. I mean, I have so many stories of um, uh, another another quick story um, before I get into the uh, what we call the Manassas case. And I'll actually, I'll have my my husband who um, is kind of a lay lay demonologist kind of, I hate to, you know, he's, he, he gets into that. I hate, I, I, I stay away from that. I'm all about Casper and that's it. Um, <laughs> but when I talk about, you know, the family refused to, I think people need to understand things about the demonic. You watch it on television and they think, oh, someone's, we're going to have a priest and he's going to say a few prayers and sprinkle some water and it's over. But really the, the demonic is more like cancer. Um, I, I liken it to cancer because it's never going to go away. Even if you are able to have a successful exorcism, which is a process because the Catholic Church, you know, has a way to, to go about it. And the history of the Catholic Church being involved goes back to a case um, in France a few hundred years ago where the demon requested a bishop. And that kind of ruled out the Protestants and brought the Catholics in. Um, they, they, you know, Rome has the Roman ritual. They have their format. And the idea is they have to learn the name, the identity of the demon, um, so that they can cast it out in Jesus's name. But there's a whole lot of hoops you go before you get through that. You have to go through medical tests, psychiatric tests. People have to witness the phenomena, the bishop in your area. Okay. Um, because demons are very legalistic, has to approve this exorcism. And they happen more often than people would think. But then once you get past all these hurdles and and you're granted an exorcism, it can take days or weeks for it to work. And then after that, I say it's like cancer because it never really goes away because it's kind of like, you know, once you go into remission from cancer, every five years you go to the doctor to make sure you're still cancer free. That's how it is. If you uh, remember a famous, uh, a famous case, a haunting in Connecticut, not the, not kind of made a movie about that, right? 
but the Discovery Channel, yeah, Haunting Connecticut, they had the funeral home and her son had, had cancer. Yeah, and they tra- that, that's the documentary. Um, the documentary. Not Sal the, was not thinking the about movie. the movie. The movie was not no, movie. it was ridiculous. It was just Hollywood stuff. I'm sorry but, to interrupt, Bobby, but that yeah. that is, if you, if folks at home, if you watch that documentary about that a haunting in Connecticut. Yeah. John Zaffis, I believe, was the one that was involved yes. in that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he and, and yeah. he said it was one of the most terrifying cases he'd ever been on. And that guy's been on a lot of stuff. Wow. Yeah. And and if you watch that documentary, I know John. And so I actually um John and I were both speaking at a conference right after that came out. And I asked him, I said, John, what was faked or what was not you know, legit or over drama, you know, dramatized because that's how they do it, right? They dramatize stuff. I said, John, what was what was not legit about that documentary? And he goes, Bobby, the only thing that was not legit is that when they had the face that was on fire coming up the stairs, he goes, I didn't see a face on fire, but he says, Bobby, I saw something so horrible that it scared me to death, and I just thought my family was going to die. And he literally he left. He did. He ran out of the house. He, left. he gave up paranormal investigating. For a while because of that, because he thought his family was going to die. He goes, the only thing that wasn't legitimate was it wasn't on fire, but it put the fear of, you know, God into me. Holy smokes. Um, so that documentary is what I'm talking about. And and I bring that up because, and, and so her name's Carmen, the mother. She's been on subsequent documentaries talking about this case. And you know what? A lot of times things happen. Things will fall off the wall. She'll have stuff happen. And she says, you know, we always have odd things happen. They don't have it at the level they had at the house before the exorcism. But the reason I say it's like cancer, you have to stay prayed up. You have to stay, you know, steadfast in your faith. You know, if you're Catholic, you need to go to mass weekly. You know, you've got to, you have to stay on top of it um, because it is not something that goes away. It's not a magic pill. You know, there's not some water and a prayer and it's over. That's not how demonic, a true demonic possession works. That's not how it is. And so no one ever really wants that to actually happen. Right. I know. And, and that's what would get me is you'd have all these, you know, proliferation of all these ghost hunter shows coming on and ghost adventures and, and all this other mess that comes on TV, especially over the past 10 years. And people are like, I think I have a demon. I'm like, girl, you have so many things going wrong in your house. A demon would be like, no, you're screwing yourself up enough. I don't need to come to your house. Like you do, <laughs> you do not have a demon, right? You don't. Some of the, so some of the, one, one of the more, you know, sort of standout cases um, was in uh, Northern Virginia. So, um, you know, just outside of Washington, D.C. And this, this girl contacted, had emailed me and said, you know, I just got married. She had moved from California. She had two small kids. She married this guy that she had met online. They had both lost their jobs. And so they were in, you know, kind of financial, um, um, hard, a hard place. This is like 2008, 2009 timeframe when the economy really tanked. And he had been, you know, working in as a contractor. And so the housing industry kind of, you know, tanked at that point. So, so he was out of work. And she's like, I really fear for my life. So I, you know, always do an interview and she sounded very sincere. And I said, I I would like to talk to your, um, your fiance, because it seemed like, again, something pointed to something happening a year ago. Now I questioned this woman's sanity moving from California to Virginia over an online romance and marrying this dude (laughs) and bringing her two small kids along with her. Um, but okay. Right. Um, and this guy was losing his mind. He was, I could hear him in the background screaming and cursing. And I, you know, I told my husband, I said, this dude's like office rocker. So that is not a normal reaction to me wanting to ask him questions. Right. So my husband and one of our other regional investigators, uh, went, you know, agreed to go, to go do a preliminary investigation. And they had, uh, agreed they lived in a townhouse. They were going to go up there. And the guy was, so first of all, you know, they've got the exorcist, they've got all of these horror books and horror movies on their table, which is not going to lend itself to, to helping your case with us, right? You're not, because it seems like you're a little obsessed. And this guy goes off the rocker. This guy goes down in their basement, you know, and says he's hearing voices that says he needs to kill them. Now, what, this guy probably didn't know at the time. My husband was a law enforcement officer um, and he could legally carry. He's retired now. But my husband's like, you know, on the, and that's why my husband went with this, with this female investigator, right? For, for safety purposes. And this guy is just kind of, you know, normal people don't do that. 
that's not normal. He's presenting as a psych case. And I've told the girl, I said, look, I said, if you truly think you have a demon in your house, you and we found the local Catholic church and we said, you need to go to mass and talk to a priest. I mean, if you think you have the devil in your house and you think I'm an expert and I'm telling you to go to the Catholic church, why would you not do that? Why would you not do it? And you've got little kids in the, in the mix here. So it just never rang true for me. So long story short, um, I was getting worried. I hadn't heard from my husband. I was about to call the, uh, the local police department to do a welfare check. Cause my gut, this guy didn't pass my gut check when I did the phone call. Um, they basically did get them out of there. They got them moved. They literally packed up their SUV and they went to a hotel. They said they were going to move. So we don't hear anything else from. So, again, we're trying to I think she called us like the next weekend and, and I answered my cell phone and she it was a Saturday night. And she said, you know, my husband's trying to kill himself. And I'm like, then why are you not calling 911? You do not call the Ghostbusters you know, quote unquote, if someone's trying to harm themselves, so you, you hang up with me and you call 911. So already they don't think rationally in my mind. We don't hear anything else from them. Um, a year later or a year and a half later, uh, the female investigator gets an email. So here's what had happened with this case. Demon or not, mental illness or not, we'll, we'll never know, but they moved to Florida. His family, his mom lived in Florida because they were hard up. She had, she had gotten pregnant with his child. So she's pregnant, right? So they moved to Florida. Um, while they're there, he is beating her up. He beat his mother up. He beat his mother up with a two by four, his mom. He broke her, his wife's leg when she was, she had just had the baby and she thought, oh, well, he'll be nice because I have his baby. No, he broke her leg. So when he broke her leg, she decided she, they had to leave because he might hurt her kids. So she leaves him. He beats his mama up. Um, and then he, he, he goes away. No one knows where he is. So his mother calls the police. She's worried about her safety. And they find an encampment not far from – she owns some property down there. They find um, an encampment. And this guy has has killed a lot of different animals like squirrels and things, small game, squirrels and rabbits. And he's beheaded them and put their head on little sticks, little spikes. And he has this entire little like encampment surrounded by these – decapitated rodents, right? Which is not normal. Um, he has a four wheeler. He ends up dying by suicide by cop, right? He, so the cops come in, he's, you're telling him drop his weapon. He's not, he's shot and he's killed. So that's the end of that. But that's, you know, that's, um, that that is what it is, you know. It's kind of um, it could be it could have been demonic, it could have been mental illness, it could have been both. You're not you're you're never sure about that. You know um, what's sad about a lot of those things, Bobby? You're you're talking. Is it demonic? Is it not? You know, we'll never truly know. And for you know, and and just looking at it, I guess you could say from a rational point of view that that is outside of the paranormal. There, are many people would probably agree or think or be of the position that maybe the guy had a tumor because you know the guy that did the shooting at the uh, tower of the university of texas back in the 60s that guy uh charles whitman he's uh you know he's the guy that shot those people from the tower of the university of texas back in the 60s early 60s somewhere around there and of course when he died they did a they did a uh, an autopsy and when they cut his head open they found a big tumor in there you know, and that's what which, caused which would impact his behavior. Yes, yes. And so, I mean, that nowadays, what I, I guess what I'm driving at is that today they don't see, you know, the authorities don't seem to want to be putting money into having the coroners do an autopsy on some of these people with mental illnesses or perceived mental illnesses. It's just crazy. But when you get to the paranormal aspect of it, I mean, that's so hard to tell. You, you wow, <laughs> that is just crazy. Well, so. Going on with that, what other case really stands out in your mind that you've, you know, investigated over the years? So the the next case, and, and I'm going to set it up and give my perspective, and then I'll let my my husband Rick, um, who is very active, I'll, I'll let I'll let him speak. But uh, and this was actually. Uh, uh, featured on the Discovery series, A Haunting, and it's called Marked by Evil. They came out years a few years ago, but they still run this stuff you know, in syndication, Marked by Evil. 
um, a haunting. You can actually see my husband was interviewed. So this was back in 2008. And this also goes to show like how long these cases last. These are not, you know, quick. None of them are easy. None of them scream, you know, demonic, right? Yeah, they're um, not, uh, they're not, you know, in and out in 30 minutes and, and over, not, just like the no. episode, right? Yeah, no, they're, they're not. And so this lady contacts us and she was from Northern Virginia. And she's like, you know, um, I'm getting scratched. And so we're like, okay, all right. So I sent again the same, actually, ironically, the same, uh, the same researcher that, uh, that went with my husband on this, on this other case with the, uh, with the guy who ended up dying suicide by cop. Um, they go up to do a preliminary. We always did what we call a, we did phone screens and then we did preliminary onsite investigation, which was meeting with them usually during the, during the week with our local folks, just to kind of make sure, are they, are they, you know, reading a lot of the exorcist or whatever. And then we would, um, if it, if we seemed like it was activity we could capture and gather data, then that's when we did kind of the, what we call our full scale investigation, which is what you kind of see on television, the all night kind of surveillance stuff. So they went up there and that's where we administered all of our like, um, psycho, you know, um, psychiatric screenings and things to kind of look for how, how, when are they going to, are they going to look for a paranormal reason versus rational reason, that kind of thing. And they said this lady was just scarred, um, like checkerboard scarred and that they actually saw a picture of her and she was unrecognizable that she was, you know, prior to this, she was very beautiful, you know, um, and now she was just kind of a shell of her former self. And she had had married this younger guy. Now, that's the other thing you need to know about when we when we think about, you know, demonic cases. They don't pick Ward and June Cleaver, right? They don't pick people who are clean. You know, you think about victim souls. And when you see stuff on TV, oh, they're the perfect American family and blah, blah, blah. This is not what happens usually. Um, if you have demonic entities attached, usually something has happened, a tragedy. A lot of times it's either drug use, sexual abuse as a child. There, there are always these gateway kind of, kind right, of ways. Right, the negative in. energy that's coming yeah. off the relationship or whatever the case may be. Exactly. There's something. They're, they're not usually like, victim souls right so so this so this lady they're like you know she's she looks really almost suicidal she's very depressed um and so we actually have a medical doctor in our group she's a medical doctor and so when they came back um and and gave this case review during our monthly meeting the uh physician said you really you really need to have her go see a doctor because if she commits suicide we might be liable you know which made made sense to me and i said well you know we need to insist that she has a medical screening well when when the female investigator lead investigator tells her this she's very offended cuz she's like you know i'm telling you the truth i need help and so my husband decided that he was going to take this apart from our group, you know, the uh, CPRI, Center for Research and Investigation. We changed our name by this point to kind of expand our research. And he goes, I'll, I'll, I'll work with her. So he took on the case. Now, before I let Rick give you his point of view, you should know this case went on for, what, three or four years. Um, and there were times when, when we didn't know if it was legit or not. And I, and I was like, you know, she's just bored. This is just crap. And when, and I would, you know, go interview her because I was schooled in the, you know, interrogation techniques to look for people being deceptive with their body language and all that. And I'm like, she's not really being deceptive. Like, I can't. She's really sweet. She's really nice. I can't. Um, this does not compute. This does not make a lot of sense. Uh, and so... I want to let my husband, he's actually sitting right behind me, um, let him tell, you know, give you a high level of what he went through. He actually worked with the Catholic Church and some, uh, and some, you know, known demonologists and how this actually ended up with the resolution, which made me a believer. Like I went from being agnostic and I'm now a devout Catholic. Oh, <laughs> so, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. So That's there's a lot in this, in this case. So I'll let Rick, I'm going to change seats so he can have the microphone and let him go through kind of what, what he went through for this case. All so, right. Well, let's bring on Rick. Greetings, gentlemen. How are you? How are you, Rick? I'm doing well. <laughs> you know, if I cough every now and then, it's because I'm getting over a chest cold. So you'll have to forgive me for that. Well, that's, so that's all right. I got a cold, too. I've been trying to get rid of it. <laughs> so, Rick, you know. Give us your your side of this whole ordeal because okay. it already it, it's already piqued my interest. Yeah, Bob is giving you a good premise about this whole case. Um, 
we went to the me and this other investigator went to visit this lady. We interviewed both the husband and the and the lady separately, but we were in view of each other just so that you know for you know to protect ourselves. Um, so we were we interviewed them, and um, it was our recommendation as the group to for her to seek some type of psychiatric or psych, psychological counseling, which is not unreasonable for situations like this. Um, I didn't think it was unreasonable either, but uh, this particular case uh, struck me a little differently than most. Um, like my wife said, I'm retired law enforcement, and I'm used to interviewing and interrogating people, especially people who have uh, who have uh, victims of uh, abuse, sexual abuse, and physical abuse, and things of that sort. And when I interviewed this lady, and we interviewed her on tape. Um, I, got, I kind of got the impression that uh, she wasn't being deceptive at all. She, her mannerisms were that of a person who seemed to have been raped or sexually abused. Um, her body language uh, screamed it. Her, the way she spoke, the way she looked down, the way she, you know, did not maintain eye contact. Yeah, all the telltale signs were just jumping exactly. out at you, huh? Yeah, exactly. And I'm thinking, well, you know, if 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 it isn't anything paranormal, you know, she believes something's happening here. So if she believes it, and considering the, the, the stories and the accounts that they're giving us, pretty fantastic, and I'll get into that. Um, I think you know the, the group doesn't want to go with it unless she seeks counseling. But when that was mentioned to her, she I just noticed that she started to deflate. She started to like lose hope. Um, that struck me. It kind of hit me to the heart. And I said, well, and I told the group, I said, well, if you don't want to pursue it, unless she do, does these things, I'll do it as an independent investigator. I'll try to help her out the best I can. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. So um, I went ahead and took the case and um, I, started, I I worked on it for a good two years. Um, and a lot of times what I, what would happen would she, she claimed that uh um, in the middle of the night, she would get scratched. I mean, I'm talking long scratches on her, on her back, places that she couldn't reach, her arms, her legs, um, her neck. Um, we took photographs, and a lot of the scratching, it was, I mean, she, she was carved up pretty well. Almost disfigured. Almost disfigured. And a lot of these scratches to this day left scar tissue. That's how bad it was. Can I ask you a question, though, Rick, just, just to delay any suspicions of – do you do you think that there's any chance that this could have been done like by a physical human that might have been doing this to I her? Did. I, I must first. Um, I, I also suspected that she might have been a cutter. If you're familiar with what a, who a cut, what a cutter does, um, a lot of these people who are psychologically, you know, um, stressed, um, have anxiety, they cut themselves. Um, in a certain pattern most of the time. A lot of times it's in areas of the body that's not visible. visible. I suspected she might have been a cutter. <clears throat> I suspected that her um, her husband might have been abusive to her. But when I looked at the dynamics of the family, her, her husband, she was the most assertive one there. She's the one that did the ordering around. He was more, you know, uh, you know, subservient to her. He was smaller than she was. And I just couldn't see him being an abusive um, uh, partner, so I kind of, I kind of, you know, got rid of that, you know, pretty, pretty early on, probably within the first couple of months. Keep in mind, I interviewed her a great deal. Um, a lot of times, she would, she would claim that uh, she would be scratched. Now, these scratches came in threes, and if you're, if you study demonology in the literature, um, the the sign of three is a mockery to the Trinity. Um, and that's an, that appears in a lot of demonic cases in the literature and the historical literature and so forth. And Rick, also the, the 3 a.m. tends to be a, a the witching hour. Yeah, it is. Yes, I, exactly. I have I work overnight security. I have a company, and a lot of weird stuff that's happened in some of the places that we've worked at. Been right around. I've that time. noticed that. Like when you go in some of these high rise buildings downtown, um, you you read the guard logs, and th when something strange happens, a lot of times it's around that time. Yeah, it's it's yeah. It, a lot of stuff happens around three a.m. and a lot of it, a lot of it's negative. And the, the 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 theologians state that it's it's a mockery to Christ's crucifixion because he supposedly died, was crucified three three p.m. and as a mockery to that, the demonic their their activities occur at three a.m. So if, yeah, if you if you remember the uh, the uh, Amityville case where George Lutz would wake up at three fifteen every morning. 
and could go back to sleep, that's an indicator pretty much. And there, there the three number three comes up again and again, the Trinity, the Father, exactly. the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, when he, when Christ was crucified on Calvary, it was th- there were three people. Um, there were one to the right of him and one to the left of him. Exactly. The one to the right of him repented, and, and then the one to the left of him denied him and so precisely yeah but uh, but you know all her all this getting back to this case this her injuries were all scratches were in threes there were a couple of times where she was being beaten and um her husband at one point jumped on top of her during one of these episodes and he could feel her being hit under his body so whatever was hitting her was going through him and hitting her um a lot of times she'd be sitting in bed watching tv and all of a sudden she said she would automatically see stars. Something would just punch her right in the face, knock her head back where it hit the, the headboard of the board, of the bed or the wall. And she'd have a bruise on her, you know, eye, black eye or so forth. And this went on for quite a long time. I tried forever to try to document this stuff. Every time I'd go up there and set up, um, nothing would happen. I'd tear things down and leave. And a day or so later, she'd get hit again. Um, this went on for some time. Um, uh, and I, I, and I could tell something was going on because it, these attacks happened with such frequency that I could look at the, 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 uh, trash, trash pails, but the, uh, trash cans and then full of bloody paper towels where she'd been hit. Um, it was, it was ongoing. She was, she was, uh, she was in, she was in bad shape and I could tell that spiritually and psychologically she was going down because of all these attacks. So what I did is I, I, I uh, set up one weekend, I think it was April the 17th, 2011, and I set up for a 48-hour investigation and surveillance. I had another guy with me. And uh, the, that Friday night, um, we didn't, nothing happened. The following day, Saturday, some items flew off of a shelf, but unfortunately our cameras weren't trained in that direction. But that, yeah, but that's that's kind of weird in and of itself. But that's that Saturday night was when it all happened. I think it was like ten or ten thirty p.m. that Saturday night. She was walking through the kitchen, and on camera, got hit. Um, you could actually hear her get hit, and it, it was this, the the audio signature was somewhat like a uh, static discharge, a popping sound. That's interesting. Uh, exactly, and then we went in there and uh, we looked at her arm, and it was cut rather deeply three scratches again on her right upper arm and it was bleeding so profusely there was blood all over the floor we try to wipe that up um we uh I, I did somewhat suspect that something was going on when she came out of the she was out of the view of the camera for some time i heard a closet door open and close and the aftermath of this incident i went and checked the closet and there was like a pear knife on the top shelf and i'm thinking well could she have cut herself come in and you know staged that she got scratched that's that stuck in the back of my mind but uh, you know i was still somewhat suspicious up until that point well later on that night i'd say about uh it was 12 three it was three or four in the morning uh we you know again that time uh we were watching her on surveillance and um she jumped up. We could see her jump up. We, the bedroom we had surveilled. We had cameras at the opposite ends of the room so we could capture the full room. And uh, about that period of time, she jumped up and was motioning for the camera to force to come in because we had set up another, another room on the opposite end, end of the house. We went in there, and then she said she got scratched on her uh, left forearm. I looked at that, looked under the light. It was somewhat red. Took her into the other room, turned the overhead light on. I could see the whelps forming. And I could see the blood coming out, so I knew it was somewhat fresh. Um, we reviewed the tape, and uh, she had a couple cats lying at the foot of her bed. They were nowhere near her. She was up. She had her head rested on her left arm, watching TV. Um, we heard what sounded like a breathy type of growl in, on the on the audio, oh. and that's when we heard that static discharge again, and that's when she got hit. Um. We looked at the other camera from the other angle, and we could see from the other angle, uh, like a, an orb or a light, go into her and leave just as it, the uh, as she was hit. So I, I did some, you know, I did some on-site investigation. I looked at the the windows. I looked at the traffic, 
to see if what it caused that particular light. I couldn't find anything. So, so to give the skeptics point of view here, because I was the skeptic at this point, gentlemen, she had um, acrylic nails. So, so uh, Sal and 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 uh, Josh, y'all might not know what acrylic nails are, but the ladies will. Oh, I do. <laughs> okay, so they're, my they're wife thick. gets her nails done. Believe me. Okay, so they're so they're thick nails, and and I actually had. Had acrylic, had acrylic manicure at the time, and I was like, they're thick nails. The only way that you could scratch, and I had to show it to Rick, I said, you'd have to cut them to a point. Her nails were squared off. There is no way in seven hells that she did this to herself. And we're watching her. Her, her husband is in bed with her, and he's snoring like a freight train. I mean, he's dead to the world. She's got the remote, She's and ironically, she's watching a ghost show, and you see a little light show up. And, and the strange thing about that voice, that moan, we didn't even detect detected um, for a couple of weeks later we had two cameras on each side of the room and we had one of our friends who lived in the area drove down to help Rick you know download it from our surveillance system and we sent it off to one of our guys in our group who's really good at, uh, at video and, and photographic evidence and he heard the moan and the interesting thing is the moan hat locality it came in much louder on one of the cameras than the other and if you hear it it would make this the hair on the back of your neck come up and and she's on camera and i that's what made me you know kind of realize i can't dismiss this because it's it took what you know three years or so but th there it is on camera so um yeah at that point i knew that i had something so what i did was i contacted a, a religious demonologist in connecticut by the name of dave considine if you're familiar with him i think i've heard his name before very good gentleman. He's a, he's very good. He was a great deal of help to my case. He helped her, me. I mean, he was, when other people would uh, ignore us, he stepped up to the uh, plate and he did the best he could. And, and with his help, the case was resolved, but I contacted him and I gave him a briefing on what I had. And he said, it sounded like a demonic oppression, which is a stage that, um, you know, there, there are some stages of, that, that of influence that the demonic uses against a person. It's not, it's not always possession. It starts out with oppression, exactly. or is it obsession, then oppression, and then... It could be obsession, oppression, but it could be infestation, obsession, oppression. Um, yeah. And, you know, then you can get into... Uh, possession. Possession, yeah. But, uh, you know, he, he helped me out. Um, I see, he, what he did, he had an exorcist. He knew that he was living in the Chicago area. Um, he worked with him a lot. Um and what I did was uh, he said that what we need to do is we need to uh, get a little bit more evidence, a little more certainty as to what we've got. So he said he told his exorcist friend, you know, the story, gave him the account of what had happened. He's, and the exorcist decided one Sunday morning during his mass, his mass is at 9 o'clock, which would be 10 o'clock Central, yeah, Central time, which would be 10 o'clock our time. So um, we we uh, made an appointment to visit her. We didn't tell her or her husband why the visit, the reason for the visit. We just wanted to be there, and uh, we went in the house. And about exactly at ten o'clock, nine central, she started having an extremely bad migraine headache. She just she couldn't get out of bed. She was nauseated. Um, she couldn't light would hurt her eyes. It was just a um, it was a weird, weird, weird coincidence, um, and. Uh, you know, when when a, when a Catholic, Catholic mass is said in somebody's name, uh, usually it has a great deal of effect on the demonic if the demonic is involved. So um, we, you know, made a made a determination that it was probably an oppressive state, and uh, the exorcist and, and the church got involved and gave me permission to do what is, what is referred to as a deliverance type of exorcism. It's not a solemn exorcism; only a Catholic priest, an ordained Catholic priest, with the permission of his bishop. Um, can you know perform a, a solemn exorcism, but a, uh, a a a deliverance exorcism in the deprecative deprecatory form, they allowed me to do that. And uh, I went up there. Uh, long story short, main appointment. I went up there and uh, we did this prayer session, and uh, it didn't you know it didn't end you know with fireworks and sparks and so forth. It was very quiet. It was very serene. But there was a presence in the, in the area. And after we finished the prayer, the, 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 this presence kind of, it seemed to me, and I could, have been, I could be mistaken, but it seemed to dissipate. Well, after that particular prayer, um, she had no more problems. 
Um, she had no more attacks, no more issues. Um, and it was like uh, last time I spoke with her, it's been, it had been like four years since this had happened and she still hasn't had any more problems. There was one incident where she got scratched again during an argument with her husband. I went and did another deprecatory blessing and we prayed again. And after that, no further attacks, no further problems or anything like that. So, you know, it, it, I was Catholic at the time, but I wasn't very devout. I was very lukewarm. And after that particular case and after working that case and seeing what I saw and seeing what works and what doesn't work through the process of elimination, I started, I became very devout and I pretty much, you know, I devote a lot of my time to helping people with these types of cases. I don't hunt these cases down. They come to me and uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't like picking fights. So if they come to me and I'll pray on it, if I can help them, I'll try, but more than likely I will, you know, direct them to the proper authorities, religious authorities to get it resolved. Because um, these things are, these things are not a joke. These things hit back. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for tonight. Join us Wednesday when we release part two of this discussion. So, Wherever you're at, wherever you're from, whatever planet you're uh, marooned on, whatever tree you're hiding up in from Dogman, good night.